So we are concluding this series this morning titled Companion for the Journey. We, we started this uh, six weeks ago as we've gone chapter by chapter through this New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. And this, this was a letter written by Paul to Timothy. Uh, and, and as we, we see that, uh, again, the, the overall theme of this series is see his companion for the journey. And again, literally that means that we, our goal of our faith is to become a disciple of Jesus that also helps make other disciples. You know, we do that through evangelism, through sharing the message of who Jesus Christ is and, and helping people to join the journey of faith by, by receiving Christ their Savior, inviting them into their life, and confessing their sins, getting, receiving that forgiveness and grace, being washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Right? And they join the journey of faith by praying and accepting Christ as their Savior. But then that journey starts, a new journey starts at that moment of, of salvation to where we are growing to be more like Christ every day. Right? And God starts to transform our minds and transform our hearts to be more like him. And we see, again, the ultimate goal of our faith, right, is to be a disciple of Jesus that helps make other disciples, not just through evangelism, but also through encouragement and accountability and walking with other believers as we both grow together. In fact, we see that, that, that premise here um, in 1 Timothy 1 and 2 in, in the, the intro verses of the letter, right, where, where Timothy says... Um, or Paul says, this is a letter from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of our God and Savior in Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. And I'm writing to Timothy, my true son of the faith, and may God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. Again, we, we see that uh, the foundation here, not just of this letter, but, but shows us the foundation of, of the relationship between these two men. Paul was an apostle, right? He he was sent to take Jesus to the Gentiles, and he traveled around on different missionary journeys and, and sharing the gospel of Christ and starting new churches in, in these different communities. And, and as he did that, right, he would start these, these churches would start in these towns. And, and here now, Paul has now taken his true son in the faith, and he has helped him mature and become a mature believer to the point where he's ready to lead. And now he's appointed and left Timothy to lead the church in the town of Ephesus. This is the same town that, that a letter Paul was sent to, which we now know as the book of Ephesians, right? This is a letter that was sent to the entire community or the church. In fact, a lot of Paul's letters are, are written to, to larger groups of people, but then some of them are written to specific people, as we see here in this letter to Timothy. And also in these intro, intro verses, we, we see this relationship between Paul and Timothy that Paul calls Timothy his true son in the faith. And again, we learn that every believer should have spiritual children. And there, there is somebody not far, as far along in their journey as you. But even if you are just if a new believer or an immature believer, there are still those that, that don't know Jesus. Right? That, that haven't joined the journey yet. And so again, how are you investing into those people and sharing that gospel? But for all of us, no matter where you are on your faith journey, there are those behind you. But there's also those in front of you, right? And we need those spiritual parents as well, those that, that invest in us and teach us and encourage us to continue to grow in our faith. We also learn from these verses that the power of this relationship comes from God, not from me. We see again, he Paul tells, he says, I'm serving God and so are you. And these are the things that God gives us because we are growing together, right? He gives us hope. He gives us grace and mercy and peace. 
And again, the power of God is what blesses this, this spiritual parent and spiritual child relationship. Right? It's not something I have to come up with on my own or fabricate or, or have, even have all the answers in order to be a spiritual parent to someone. I just have to point them back to Jesus as I look to Jesus myself. Right? And, and we also know that and learn that both will consume from this partnership. Like I said, we have several in our church that are, are, um, have gone through the journey classes and gone through the, to the mature, maturity point in their faith where they're ready to be a spiritual parent. And, and again, we call them companions. And now they're walking with others that are younger in their faith and walking with them you know, as they both grow together. And, and all of our companion leads will tell you that they learn more from those that they're leading than what they teach. And we, we see this growing, these growing relationships and how God is blessing them. And, and then we move into this letter uh, and as we have dove deeper into the text and, and seen these different um, advice and, and concepts that, that Paul teaches Timothy on how to do this well. In chapter 1, we, we learned some more practical advice on how to be a spiritual parent and, and how we oftentimes and will mess up that relationship with our own humanness. We saw in chapter 2, as Paul continued with practical advice and teaching and told, taught Timothy how he can make God smile as a disciple. And then in chapter 3, Paul addresses church structure and, and Christian maturity and, and how we need these to, to not just grow in our own faith, but also as a, a church and a body of believers that, that we need to continue to grow as well and how important church structure is in that growth. Then in chapter 4, he turns to more personal advice for Timothy. And in chapter 4, we have the most quoted verse of the entire letter in, in 1 Timothy 4.12. And then we saw last week in chapter 5, as he goes back and readdresses, but on a personal level with Timothy, how important church structure is. And we learn how we treat people really matters. And now we are here to the concluding chapter of the letter in chapter 6. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Again, if you're with us online, hopefully you have your Bible with you. If you're here with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat. You're welcome to use if you don't have your own. And you notice on the outline uh, is the page number of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. So we're going to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And, uh, and we're going to pick up where we left off last time, which was the, the second part of verse 2. And we are going to start with reading down to verse 10. So you follow along with me here, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 2. It says, So teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. And anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness with contentment is, its, its, is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. 
But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And so we're going to pause there. We're going to come back here to the text here uh, in a few minutes, but, but I want to stop there and just as we see these these opening verses here, these first six verses, right, before Timothy kind of takes a turn, or Paul takes a turn on Timothy, and, and he moves from, from teachers, right, to money. And, and it, at first glance, as we read it, it kind of, it seems like kind of a blind turn. It's like, okay, here we're talking about church structure, we're talking about leaders and teachers, and, and as Paul is admonishing Timothy to, to be a good teacher, and to do all the, the things that God's called him to do, and to step up, and and again, be, lead as the best he can in all these different structured things. And then we end up in these verses talking about money. But again, I, it's not such a blind turn. I think as we get there, uh, but let's start back with, with the reasoning that Paul starts with. And, and that is here in these, these opening verses of chapter 6, Paul identifies two different kinds of teachers. He, he tells... Timothy, he's like, hey, here, you are leading here. And, and notice he says, that, teach these things, Timothy. Teach you know, what, what I have taught you, what we are both teaching. We're on the same team. We're teaching the same truths of who God is and how to follow Jesus. But he also says, but there are others out there. There are other teachers that will oppose us. He identifies these two different teachers. And then he he tells Timothy, and, and again, we learn, can glean from this advice on, on how do we tell the truth on which kind of teacher they are. How do we know if we should follow them or we shouldn't? How do we know that they're teaching us things that are right? And how do we know if they're not right? And, and Paul teaches us that the main distinction between their teaching is what it produces. Again, you can, just as Jesus taught, right, you, you can judge a tree by its fruit. And you can judge a teacher by what it produces, what their teaching produces. And, and so we see, first off, is teacher number one produces godliness. If you follow the teaching of, of teacher number one, you, you will find a godly life. A faith journey that leads towards Christ. And it will produce godliness in, in not just in those that hear, but also in the teacher themselves. Right? That they will move closer to Christ. Right? That they'll be more like Christ tomorrow than they are today. And if you, if you follow their teachings, that's what will happen for you as well. And that is in contrast then into verse 4 where he points out the, the, um, what teacher 2 produces, right? Teacher 2 produces jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. I don't know about you, but that's not a very nice list, is it? I kind of read that and be like, wow, I don't, I don't want any part of that list. And yet, just as we've looked, even in these last few weeks, right, is what does the unbelieving world see when they look at the church, unfortunately? 
Kind of looks like that list, doesn't it? And as we see again, Paul tells Timothy, he's like, Timothy, there, there are two kinds of teachers, and, and stick to what you know is true. And, and your, your teaching is going to produce something. And make sure that your teaching is producing what you want it to produce if you're teaching the right things. And not only do we look at what it produces, but, but yet Paul takes it a step further. And he says it's not only just about what their teaching produces, but you can further tell right, what kind of teacher they are by, by the condition of their heart. You know, what's the motivation be, behind their teaching? Again, G- Jesus taught over and over and over again, right, that it was all about your heart and about the desires of your heart, right, will dictate everything else in your life, and which is why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything you have. Right, because if your heart is focused on God, then, then everything else will fall into place. And, and again, does, Look at a teacher and evaluate that teacher by the condition of their heart because teacher number one's heart is going to be content. As he identifies in verse 6. And yet, the teacher number two's heart is, can be identified by greed. I mean, that's exactly what he says here in verse 5, right? He says, they, sh- they show godliness only for a way to get rich. Now, again, I, I, in fact, I've heard it just a couple times even this, this last week as people talk about, you know, these televangelists, right, and how that they never are shy about asking for money. Now, now again, I, I don't think every televangelist is bad or a, a false teacher, in fact, one of the reasons I keep continuing to hear about that is because just kind of in pastor circles, how we're all kind of talking about how we've all become televangelists, right? Because now we're all streaming our sermons online. Right? And yet we see that, right? That's one of the things with kind of the traditional, um, you know, first impressions of, of those, you know, the cable TV preachers, right? Is that they're never shy about saying we need your support. And they need their support for a ministry. I mean, they, again, TV time costs money. Like, I have no problem with that at all. And I don't think Paul does either. I don't think God has a problem with with preachers asking for money to support their ministries. Uh, I I think what Paul's getting at is it's not about the money at all. It's about their heart. What is their true motivation? Are they on the airwaves truly to spread God's word, or are they on the airwaves to be the next celebrity pastor? And as we realize that again and see here when we see that Paul's teaching Timothy, he says, again, distinguish these different teachers by the conditions of their heart. Right? Then it makes a little more sense of why he moves into teaching about money for a couple verses. Right? Because if their motivation is greed, or is it contentment? Yeah, which has everything to do with money, but but ultimately with the condition of their heart. And and yet, this, it's very interesting to me, as we look here in chapter 6, as Paul addresses right, this, this content heart or a greedy heart, and then yet we can contrast that to a verse from last week, from chapter 5, right, where Paul says that elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. 
Now again, Paul, again, Paul's not making the point that preachers shouldn't ask for money or shouldn't be paid. In fact, he makes the opposite point in chapter 5, doesn't he? He says, not only should they be paid, they should be paid well. And yet, it still comes down to the condition of their heart. Right, which is where we get to the, the, the ultimate you know, issue at hand here and why I believe Paul brings it up. He's not saying that, again, ministries don't need money. He's not saying that even preachers shouldn't be paid. Right? But what he is saying is the same thing that, that all biblical teaching about money teaches, and that is that biblical teaching about money isn't really about money. It is about the condition of your heart. Right, biblical teaching about money, not just in First Timothy, but, but in fact, we can look at all of Scripture. Because the truth is, Scripture talks about money a lot. And when it does teach about money, and all the different concepts that come back to it, 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 it always comes back to the condition of your heart. Because the reality is, God has all the money God needs. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Right? Everything of this world is God's, including your money, because it's not really your money. It's God's money. Everything you have is God's. Right? And, and yet, right, Scripture teaches us so much about money. And, and again, why, why does Paul go here with Timothy? Well, because it's that important. We see then in, in verses 6 through 8 that Paul then gives a, a, a deeper description for, for Timothy of what contentment really is. Right? As he tells him, right, that for true godliness with contentment in itself is great wealth. In verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Right? Again, he's telling him it's not, it's not about your bank account at all. Right? It, it's about, again, the godliness that your teaching produces. And that godliness, if it's centered or, or married with contentment, right, is, is the most rich thing you could ever find. Hey, and, and again, he, he obviously addresses, you know, physical possessions. I mean, he says, right, like, again, you, you came into this world with nothing and you're going to go out of it with nothing, now, do you need some stuff in between those two? Absolutely. In fact, Jesus taught on that quite a bit, right? About that the Lord knows your needs and he will meet them. Right? And yet, we see this deeper description of contentment in verses 6 through 8. And then in verses 9 through 10, we have the deeper description of greed. Right, this is here what contentment really looks like. And in verses 9 and 10, we see a description of what greed really looks like. And then we end up at verse 10, which, which is one of the most misquoted verses, not just of this letter, but I would even argue of all of Scripture. 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. And pierce themselves with many sorrows. And he said, this, I believe, is one of the most misquoted verses of all of Scripture. Because you've probably heard the misquoted version of this verse before, haven't you? 
Because people misquote it by saying that money is the root of all kinds of evil. That is not what it says. Right? That's not what it says, is it? Because, right? again, you can take the one phrase, right, and you can make it say that, but that's not what the verse tells us. Right? It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Because the reality is that money itself is not evil. In fact, money is amoral. Meaning it's not good, it's not evil, it's neither. Right? Money is amoral. Which also means, if it's amoral, it means that it takes on whatever aspect you give it. Right, so can money be used for evil? Absolutely. Can money be used for good? Yes. Right, money itself is not evil. Money itself is not good. It just is. Right, but what money will do is it will reveal what is already there. Right, in fact, if you really want to know a person's character... Give them a bunch of money. Right? If you really want to know the condition of someone's heart, put a bunch of money in their bank account and see what happens. Again, there's been many teachings, many famous quotes uh, on this concept. There's, recently, there's this one that's kind of circulated around by uh, Tim Ferriss, okay, who is a popular writer and blogger and businessman. Okay, but again, he's recently been quoted as saying, money doesn't change you, it reveals who you are when you no longer have to be nice. Right? Because if you suddenly have a full bank account, it will reveal who you really are. And if your heart is, has evil in it, it, it will show that because you no longer have to be nice or because you have money. And that's the way our culture works, isn't it? Right, but the same is true if, if, if your heart is good, right? if your heart is full of contentment and, and your bank account goes up, then that will also come out. Right? And, and again, there's this kind of false narrative right, among Christian circles that, that it's, it's almost a sin to be wealthy, and that is absolutely not a biblical truth. In fact, money is given as a reward to people for godly living all through scripture. Again, it is not a sin to be wealthy, but it is a sin to put your money, or anything else for that matter, before God. And that's what greed really does, isn't it? Is put your money in front of God. Or put anything in front of God. And then it's, again, at that point, it's not about money at all either. It's about worship. And it's about it becoming an idol in your life. Right? And, and when we see this, again, we, we also learn out of this passage that the safeguard that God gives us against the love of money is generosity. And the safeguard that God gives us against the love of money is generosity. Because the reality, right, is, is God gives lots of money to his people. 
In fact, some of the, the most wealthiest people that I know are also the most godliest people I know. And they are incredibly generous people. It is not a sin to be wealthy, but it is a sin to be greedy if God gives you that wealth. Right? And, and the safeguard that God is, teaches us in our lives, that, again, that, that Paul is, is reiterating to Timothy here in the letter, is, is it's, it's about generosity. If, if you live a generous life, not just with your money, but just if your heart is generous, right, then that will safeguard you against greed and, and help with your contentment. Yeah, we see this, this practical advice come out in verses 17 through 19. So we're going to skip ahead through the text here. We're going to pick up 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, where it says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Again, these verses are a deeper description of generosity. As you see, again, what, what do we learn here about generosity from these verses? First, the first thing we learn is that generosity keeps our focus on God. Right, which is the first and the greatest commandment, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Love him first. But generosity keeps our focus on God. Right, as, as we acknowledge that, that God is our provider. Again, it is, it's not, money is not my provider. My job is not my provider. My government is not my provider. God is my provider. We see this, this teaching of Jesus in Matthew 6, 32 and 33. He says, you, your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now, I can't really read this verse, right, without distinguishing that there is a difference between a need and a want. But that's for a different sermon. Right, because generosity keeps our focus on God. Right, the next thing that we learn then in verse 18 is that generosity also will show your spiritual maturity. Okay, generosity comes with spiritual maturity. As you grow in your faith, as, you, as God continues to transform your heart and your mind, right, is that generosity becomes a mark of spiritual maturity. Again, this verse in verse 18 ties back to chapter 3 where, where Paul uses uh, most of that chapter to talk about what mature believers look like and, and how they are ready to teach, right, and be leaders and overseers within the church. And, and again, it's not just about generosity, but about a whole list of qualifications, right, to be an overseer or a leader within the church. And if you remember back in chapter 3, as as Paul admonishes to Timothy and says, you must examine those before you put them in leadership. And there's a bunch of qualifying things that must be looked at within those things. And, and again, one of those things is, 
Are they living a life of generosity? I'll tell you, our, within our church and, and Oregon Trail, that is one of the, the, the qualifying things within our bylaws for board members is that they are regular tithers to the church. And I will tell you is that over my years here at Oregon Trail, we have struggled to fill our board seats with people that are qualified, and this is the number one reason it's been a struggle. Is because we have what I would believe are pretty mature believers, great leaders that would be incredible board members, but their giving record is not there. And we look at how generosity, again, is taught here that generosity is a mark of spiritual maturity. We see this, again, from the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, will determine where your heart is. Right, and as we think about that concept again, and, and we see that generosity keeps our focus on God, that generosity shows our spiritual maturity, and, and the last thing that we learn from these verses is that generosity is also a key to experiencing true life. Many of you know we teach Financial Peace University as a part of our church. We, we've I've, I've, I've taught it. Others in our church have taught it. In fact, we're just finishing up a class at Financial Peace University this week. In fact, tomorrow is the last class for those that are taking it this time. And uh, again, the, this last lesson is my favorite lesson. Okay, lesson nine in the class talks about generosity and talks about, well, now, now once you have money, then what do you do with it? Right? And, and instead of giving it all to debt and whatever, now you can be generous, right? And in fact, you know, Dave Ramsey talks about in that lesson about you will never have more fun with money than being generous. It's the most fun you can have with money is giving it away for God's purposes. And to say that, again, we we see this this concept, again, it's not a concept that Dave made up. I mean, it's it's a concept that comes right out of Scripture. We see in Proverbs 11.25, this is one of the many places it talks about that the generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Right, that a life of generosity right, will feed your soul. And with that said, can you imagine, again, what, what we could accomplish in this world if God's people really managed their money the way we were supposed to? Can you imagine what we could accomplish Right? If every believer matured in their faith to the point where they were, were giving and leading a generous life. Again, one of the things that's going around through pastor circles in this time of this struggle, there are many churches struggling in the midst of our culture right now in America with shutdowns and economy and, and unemployment and all these kinds of things. And, and a lot of it is financial struggles for churches. Can you imagine how we could change this world if God's people took, actually lived this out? If money wasn't a limiting factor to ministry? How awesome would that be? I mean, why, does, 
why does Paul go here? Again, it's not such a blind left turn, is it? Oh, it can be, it's a big deal. To church structure, to, to leading, to, to, to teaching well. I mean, that's, that's again the whole point of this, right? As we see this, we, we see the, now this final charge, this, this encouragement that, that, that comes to Timothy as Paul wraps up the letter. And we're going to pick up in the text here. For Paul's final instructions, we're going to start at verse 11, 1 Timothy 6, 11. He says, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, and so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering. And then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven and by the blessed and the only almighty God, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And he alone can never die and he lives and light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. And skipping to 20. So Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Because some people have wandered from the faith. By following such foolishness. And may God's grace be with you all. And as we read this, this final charge and, and encouragement that Paul has to Timothy, we see here in these concluding verses that, that Paul gives no new information here that he hasn't already taught earlier in the letter. Okay, but what he does do is, is he, he admonishes and empowers Timothy to be teacher number one. He says, Timothy, there are two kinds of teachers in this world. Please, Timothy, I beg you, be teacher number one. Right? Be a teacher that teaches the truth. Be a teacher that is the example of what godliness is in your life. Timothy, live a life of contentment. And, and Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Guard what God has entrusted to you. Timothy, lead, step up, teach, be confident. Keep your focus on God. Never relinquish, Timothy. Do it all the way. And guard it with everything you have, Timothy. And it starts with your own heart and it moves out through your leadership. Again, Timothy has been mentored by Paul and he's grown to a place of Christian maturity and he has been entrusted by God to lead this church in Ephesus. And through this letter and through the ongoing encouragement, Timothy is empowered to do it all the way 
and to do it well. And so my question to you this morning is, what has God entrusted to you? What has God entrusted to you? Again, as Paul tells Timothy, he's entrusted the leadership of his church to Timothy. But God entrusts something to every believer. What has God entrusted to you? Again, I don't know the details of your life, but but I do know that for every believer that God has entrusted to you, first and foremost, your own faith journey. Right? How are you doing in that faith journey? Are you, are you growing in that? Right? Are, are, are you guarding what God has entrusted to you there? God has entrusted every believer with the gospel. Are you sharing with this world that so desperately needs Jesus? Are you sharing with them who Jesus is? God has entrusted to you your faith journey. God has entrusted to you the gospel message. God has entrusted to you your spiritual gifts and your personality. God has entrusted to you your marriage, your family, your church. God has entrusted a lot to you. Are you going to guard it? Are you going to use it? Are you going to fulfill everything God needs you to fulfill as his disciple? Will you be a disciple that helps make other disciples? Which brings me to my final thought this morning, and that is this. The goal of every follower of Jesus is to be a disciple that helps make other disciples. So who are your spiritual parents? Who are your spiritual children? What has God entrusted to you? No matter what phase of, faith, of the faith journey you are on, will you do it all the way? Are you all in? Are you completely surrendered? Are you following the leading of God's spirit in your life? He said, I don't know where you are in your faith journey today, but God has entrusted a lot to you. The step you might need to take again, the next phase of your life might be just join the journey, receiving Christ your Savior for the very first time. Right? Maybe it's stepping up to the next step in your journey, whether it's, you know, like growing and being a small group, serving, leading, mentoring, being ready to, to take the lead in a companion relationship. I don't know where you are, but I hope that you'll be faithful to whatever God's leading you to do. Lord God, we come to you, Lord, this morning and we give thanks. Lord, as we enter this week of thanksgiving, Lord, we acknowledge, God, that you have provided so much in our lives. And God, that even in the midst of a rough year, God, we still have so much to be thankful for. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that we would truly live out our faith. God, that we would be faithful with everything you've entrusted us. And God, that we would take the steps we need to take, God, to move forward in our faith. God, to not stay where we are, but Lord, to truly mature in our faith. Lord, to grow, to take a step forward in our journey. And God, I pray that we, as your church, Lord, will show this world who you really are. Lord, through our lives, through our hearts, through our actions. God, as we go this week, help us get to shine your light in this dark world. God, help us, Lord, to show them who you are. 
And Lord, as we celebrate this week, we're all we are thankful for. We love you. We thank you, God, for being with us. We thank you, God, for challenging us. God, for pushing us to grow. And I pray, God, that we will do all that you need us to do. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.